Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. James chapter four, verse eight. We've read it recently. And this is a statement from your heavenly dad. And he says this, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Christians throughout time have taken this statement seriously. It's the kind of belief and the kind of trust and the kind of weight on God's word that slaves out in the cotton field to start singing. And they would take the song into their African-American churches pre-Civil War and give us one of our most beautiful hymns today. Listen to this hymn. You probably know it. Just a closer walk with thee. Grant it, Jesus, is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Y'all recognize this song? Just a closer walk with thee. I'm a terrible singer. Verse one, I'm weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to thee. Through this world of toil and snares, if I falter, Lord, who cares? Who with me my burden shares? None but thee, dear Lord, none but thee. When my feeble life is o'er, Time for me will be no more. Guide me gently, safer or to thy kingdom shore, to thy shore. Just a closer walk with thee. Grant it, Jesus, is my plea. Daily walking close to thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Throughout history, people have taken the word of God seriously. That it's not just head knowledge, that we actually have the ability to walk in the presence of God every day that God actually wants to walk with us every day. Why is this such an abstract thought? Our heavenly dad's statement is, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. You know what an earthly dad kind of statement is that I love? My son and I are getting closer as he gets older. Think about that statement. How beautiful. Now, is there some sort of physical distance between father and son? Let's say that they've grown up in the same house. The boy only knows living with his father, except maybe the overnight at a friend's house or something. They've lived together all the time, and yet a father can honestly say, as my son gets older, we're getting closer. It's not a mileage difference. It's two hearts that are beginning to grow together. It's getting to know one another, and the son beginning to know his father It's two minds that are beginning to connect in deeper ways as the boy matures and walks with his father. It's not a distance of miles, but of relationship. I love how one author says it. Getting to know him, this is the boy, getting to know the father more intimately with deeper understanding. The barriers of thought and feeling are disappearing and they are becoming more united in mind and heart. What if we grew closer to our father in the same way that a little boy, as he ages and matures, begins to grow closer to his father. Jesus tells a story about four soils. Remember that? Remember the big sower? Was anybody here for that? Y'all remember that? Yes. Remember the parable of the sower and he throws seed out in four different kinds of soil? It's Matthew 13. If you don't know what I'm talking about, check it out. Not now, after service. The soil falls, one, it'll fall on the wayside or the road. And what happens? Birds come and they eat it up, right? 
And then the other soil falls on rocky ground and it grows really fast. And then after a little while, it gets heavy and it has no roots, so it falls over. And then the third soil, it gets tossed in around thorns and stuff. And as it grows, the thorns throttle it and choke it out. And finally, the fourth, the seed falls into fertile soil. And it says that it grows and it bears much fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. Well, laced inside of this, Jesus is unpacking the two things that pull believers away from the kingdom. The first one, where it falls on the wayside and bird snatches it, when Jesus explains it, he just says, hey, they never even understood. The word came to them. It didn't make sense. It's like the devil just came and snatched the, snatched the word, the seed, out of their hearts before it ever took root. And then the next two are interesting. The one that falls in the rocks, Jesus describes it as these are the ones who, because of persecution or because of difficulty in the world, they collapse. They have no roots. Things get hard. Think about how many times have you heard somebody who is a hardcore Christian, they had this great camp experience, they worship like this, and then when tragedy hits their life, they say, how could a good God do this or allow this? This doesn't fit inside my Christian paradigm. Everything's supposed to get better. God's supposed to stop bad things from happening, right? And so their root system is shallow. It's not anchored into anything. And as soon as tragedy hits or people, they're persecuted for their faith, they fall over. How about the second one? It gets tossed in with, with thorns and it gets choked out. One, it makes me ask the question of who are you hanging around? Are you hanging around thorns? Are you hanging around other fruit bearers? But it sa Jesus says that these are the people that they get all excited and they're growing great. And then cares of this world or money distract them and they don't bear any fruit. These might be your friends that they're all like hardcore after Christ. And then they start making some sort of bad decisions. And because their decisions don't line up with their Christian commitment, they have to then rationalize that they can either change their beliefs, or they can change their lifestyle. And they end up choosing their lifestyle. How tough is that? How many times is it that we just get distracted? Well, I've got a job, so I can't go and be a part of a body of believers. Or, or I've got these things, and, and for me to, to stay popular, or for me to pursue my goals or whatever, for me to make the money that I want, and then soon the very seed gets choked out. Because we can either change our beliefs or change our lifestyle. And so many times we want to keep the lifestyle that we've chosen. And so the two things that take Christians away the most, one, the hard times or persecution, and two, just get distracted with cares of this world. Don't forget, the devil doesn't have to defeat you. He only has to distract you. So what's different? What's different about the fertile soil people? The seed lands and then it grows and it gets watered and all these great things are happening and it comes up green and it gets a root system and things start flourishing and it creates fruit and bears much fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. What is the difference? And I'm going to go ahead and, and blow the end. The difference is this. It is a genuine, real, not making it up, absolute reality relationship, two-way communication relationship with Jesus Christ instead of just a head knowledge about who Jesus Christ is. 
We, we were really good at getting head knowledge. Sunday morning, Wednesday night, uh, all sorts of Bible studies, devotionals, whatever. We're really good at packing in head knowledge. But until it gets from here to here, until it goes from head knowledge to genuine relationship, from talking about God to talking to God, we won't be fertile soil. And we'll always lay prey to the thorns or the rocks. C.S. Lewis was giving a speech one time at the Royal Air Force, and he had a gentleman come up to him afterwards and say, you know, one time I was shot down in the desert, and I was there all alone by myself, and out there in the desert, alone, stranded, had no hope, I encountered God. And so I've, had an, I've experienced God. Now, after I've experienced, why do I need your theology? Why do I need to study the Bible or, or learn about Christian doctrines? I've experienced him. And C.S. Lewis, in his brilliant Holy Spirit-led way, answered him this way. He said, you know what? You can take a trip and walk along a seashore. And you can experience that seashore. You can feel the sand or feel the spray on your face. And you know what? It is more real than if you were to turn and look at a map of the Atlantic Ocean. Sure, the map is paper and it's ink and it's different colors. Sure, the paper is far less of a real experience, but unless you have a map, you will never leave the shore and go anywhere. You have to have both. You have to be able to look at a bigger picture, a picture that has been traveled, the Atlantic Ocean has been traveled by thousands and thousands of sailors that have put together their knowledge and study to create this map. And so you can go all day to the seashore, but you will never leave. You will never cross the Atlantic unless you have the map as well. But you know what? Way too often we get so focused on the map that we never actually go to the seashore and climb in the water and go anywhere. You have to have both. We have to know God in the way that he revealed himself to us. We have to study and learn and strive to know more about him. But we also have to thirst and hunger for relationship with him. We have to be willing to go walk on the shore. We have to be willing to push a boat out into seas where we don't see the other side, taking our map, believing in faith that it's going to get us to where we're supposed to go. How beautiful of an answer. We have to have both. We have to have our accurate theology, our knowledge about God, and we have to have a real encounter and experience with him. Most Christians are very familiar with the map. It's what's taught all the time, but very few 21st century Christians have ever left the shore. Very few walk in his presence every day. Very few have a two-way communication. Very few are actually guided day in and day out by him. We've gotten so heady. We've gotten so intellectual. And so many times we forget about the God that gave everything so that we could have real relationship with him. There, but there's got to be more. There, like Think of people in the Babel, Bible. Think, Babel? think of people in the Bible. David. David says, night and day, I pour over and I study and I love your law. What, what did he have? What made him thirst and hunger? Sometimes they get bored reading the Old Testament law. David, who would, who would spend round the clock 24 hours in, the, in worship over at his tent of meeting where he had priests set up for 24-hour worship. 
What is it that he had that he craved? When he says a day in your house is like a thousand elsewhere. What did he have? What did Abraham have that at the simple word of God, he would risk his own son, believing that his son would be raised from the dead? What did he have that he could trust the voice that much? I can tell you what he had. He knew that voice well because he already walked with him. It wasn't spur of the moment, out of the blue. Abraham walked with God. What about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet that would look at such sin and then weep over the people? What about Joseph, who no matter what happened in his life, no matter how bad circumstances got, he kept turning back to his God. What about Paul? Paul, who says, everything else in my whole life is nothing but dirty rags compared to the knowledge of Christ. Does anybody in here feel that way? I love Jesus so much that everything in my life is worthless compared to just knowing about him. What did Paul have? What did it drove him? It wasn't head knowledge. It was a daily, beautiful relationship that was vibrant and life-giving that he had. They must have more than what we see. C.S. Lewis, Bonhoeffer, Tozer. What if Francis Chan and Louis Giglio, what, I've seen Francis Chan come out on the stage. I don't remember a thing he talked about, but I remember his love for God was so potent that I could taste it from the stands. He just loved God so much. I, wanna, I want to want God that way. I crave to thirst that way. Oh, won't you come with me? Won't you pursue like that with me? Why do these people seem to genuinely walk and talk in such a real way with our Father? Does our Heavenly Father pick and choose people? Is He like, you, but not you? Nah, I like her. Are some people just special? No. Jesus instructs all believers to call on Him. God offers the opportunity for everybody to call on Abba, Dad, Father. And it's echoed by Paul and James. God gave us five senses with which to experience the physical world. Actually, it's like more. I forget what it is. There's like also the, we sense time and whatever. But he gave us these senses to be able to experience the world around us. But God also gave us a deep spiritual sense that can experience his presence. And it's one that gets buried under all the voices that we let into our heads. It's one that's potent and it's real, but it's bogged down so often it's dormant and unused. But examples like these men, like Enoch, that Genesis actually says, and this, and Enoch walked with God. And then God took him. I don't know what that means. I, was he just like on the way home, just gone? I don't know. But he has such a relationship with God that he's noted twice that Enoch walked with God. They learn to cultivate that spiritual sense in them, that sense that experiences the presence of God. And they learn to cultivate it until it becomes the biggest and most important thing in their lives, where God becomes as real to them as the physical world that we experience with the other five senses. Oh man, what if we experienced God that way? It wouldn't matter what cares came into our lives. All greed, every other, other physical pleasure would seem shallow and hollow compared to knowing the creator of the universe that way. What persecution or, or tragedy could come into our lives that if we, have, if we have a daily walk with the Lord, if we know his presence and hear his voice, what could ever challenge our faith? Those are the people that are fertile soil. 
that grow. Hebrews 10, 16 through 22. This is so beautiful. I think we have it here. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their, say hearts, and in their minds, say minds. I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lost deeds I'll remember no more. Now, where is their remission of these? There is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, brethren, brothers, sisters, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What was the point of Jesus' death and the veil of the temple being ripped in half? The temple always represented the place where God's glory dwelt. And then the, the veil was ripped, showing all of mankind, all those that would call on Jesus, that we are all meant to experience the very presence that used to be hidden and stowed away behind that veil. That was the whole point. What else is there? Why did Jesus come and die? So he could look at us from afar and say, I guess you're okay. Maybe I'll let you in later. No, he came, he stepped out of heaven and he walked in flesh so he could rub elbows with us. The veil ripped so that his presence could be experienced by everybody so that we could walk with him and talk with him. But I'm telling you, way too many of us still have a veil up in our hearts. Way too often do we just live with really good head knowledge and we haven't pierced through the veil of our hearts to say, Jesus, I want to walk with you every day. Please talk back to me. We haven't been willing to give up so many other voices to be able to finally get our receptors clear. I want that. We leave that spiritual sense, our God antenna, cluttered and unused. Personally, I want this. I want to thirst for him the way so many others that I've seen in the Bible and that I've known do. And I want us to go together. There's no way. I want, I want to invite you to come with me. Let's know Jesus in a way more than historically. Let's know Jesus empirically now. Let me set up some context for you. I'm going to tell you a lot that you already know. Bear with me. It all begins with God. Number one, Everything starts with God. He is the creator and the originator of all things. He put gravity and all the other laws in place. He set up what all the spiritual laws are. And he created man, his greatest masterpiece. Man who sinned, who put a gulf between him and God. And when he put a gulf between him and God, our spiritual antenna, that sense deep down inside in our hearts that's meant to experience God's presence, got flipped off. <laughs> And man experienced a spiritual death leading quickly to a physical one. Like Paul, that spiritual death puts scales up over our eyes to the presence of God. But God, knowing our inability to know him or connect with him, reveals himself to us in three ways. Pay attention. 
He reveals himself in three ways. These are critical. Three ways. Number one, he gives us scripture. He inspired the prophets and the men and women of God to write down his truth. Number two was through the person of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter one says that Jesus is the perfect image of God. If we want to know what God looks like, we look at Jesus. If we want to know what his character is like, what he stands for, who he is, we look at Jesus. And number three, we look at what Jesus did, how he walked, how he loved, he set up the kingdom of heaven, and then out of his infinite love and his grace and mercy, his grace giving what we don't deserve and his mercy not giving us what we do deserve, he went to the cross so that we could reconnect with a holy God. So our God antenna can be flipped back on again. So we can have communion with what is holy. And that God antenna stays so often unused, like a muscle laying lax and sending it. Send it, it? Send it, send it, I can't say the word. Unused and weak. Now, at hearing the word of God, Jesus says that the word of God is the seed that he's talking about. At hearing the word of God, those three things, his scriptures, the person of Christ, and, and the work of Christ, we have a response. We can accept or reject. Those who accept, we have our antennas turned back on again. Yes, the scales fall off of our eyes. And yet, what I'm talking about tonight is that so many of us don't actually open our eyes. The scales are off and we forget to exercise our vision. We think that salvation is the end when salvation is only the first foot into the water off the shore because an adventure of a lifetime is waiting for us to walk with God, not waiting until everything goes bad and turn to him, not experiencing him on the once a week worship service. No way. Day in, day out, moment by moment, walking and talking with the creator of the universe in the same kind of presence that used to be contained behind the Holy of Holies. What remains for us is to open our eyes. What's missing from our nominal Christianity is relationship. And we begin by exercising our spiritual receptivity. If you're sitting out there and you're like, okay, Dom, you're telling me that there's more than, than where I'm at. And, and I do, I want it. There's something in me that's, that's getting stirred up right now. Pay attention. Are you ready for this? Buckle up. What I'm proposing is a loving, genuine, moment-by-moment, two-way conversation, real relationship with an invisible God, and one that flows with peace. If we had that real relationship with God that I'm suggesting, how could we ever not feel peace? He walks in perfect peace, the man whose mind is on you. What could ever shake us when we're connected to the God that knows all things and shares his love with us? The God who is sovereign and has our ways and our days set out before us. What can rattle our peace? Joy and hope and faith, endurance and guidance. What's crazy is that most of us have said I do to a marriage that we only rarely check in on. And what's crazy is that we have a God that said I do too. And yet we leave it dusty in the other room. We check in at mealtimes or dinner time. 
We're so focused on the map, or maybe even worse, we're just apathetic and complacent. How can we strengthen our spiritual receptors? Are you ready? How can we start hearing? How can we press in and know him more? How can we become more thirsty for the only one who satisfies? Number one, we continuously build context through the study of those first three revelations that I talked about. How can we ever know God's voice unless we've used what he's already given us to know him to filter out everything that's not of him? We have so many other voices in our heads. We need to figure out if we're going to pinpoint which one is him talking to us, we have to have something to compare it against. We have to have a measure. And here it is right here. He gave it to us. God is never going to speak to you something that goes against his word. This is where we begin. We study the person of Christ, the work of Christ and the scriptures that he gave us. We start having a context. We start building the structure to be able to know him. The only way that you can identify counterfeit money is for you to first study the real thing. How on earth are we going to begin to know counterfeit voices if we're not going to know the real thing? And here you go. Here's the real thing. Everything that God gave us to know real truth, our real Father. These three things, these revelations, these are the starting point, the middle, and the end. We cannot leave the shore without the map. And we have to keep our map continuously in hand. There's no point where you're like, okay, now I can just press out and walk in the presence and I'm good. I don't need the Bible anymore. No way. We constantly, it would be so silly for a captain to look at the map and then never look at it for the rest of his trip. Like who knows where he'd end up. He'd be calling Native Americans Indians or something. Number two, we must understand that the spiritual and the eternal is as real as the physical. You see, because you believe doesn't make God appear, and because you deny him doesn't make him disappear. God is. His very name is I am. And there's a spiritual world. We talked about Plato's analogy of the cave a few weeks ago, a few months ago. You all remember that? That was cool, right? He's digging at the idea that the spiritual realm is actually even more real than the physical realm. If we're constantly functioning in that, God, I'm sorry, but I'm only going to go on what I can see and touch and smell and feel and whatever. I don't need those. Then how on earth can we begin to believe in an invisible God? A spiritual God. How can we walk and know and hear an invisible God, unless we're going to begin to accept the context in our brains that the spiritual and the eternal is just as real, maybe even more than what's in front of us. That our prayer is actually having an impact and making a difference in the physical around us. That the relationship and beginning to know the voice of God is actually perfectly attuned and relevant to the world around us. It begins with us beginning to accept into our paradigm that the spiritual is real that God is present. Which leads us to number three. We must become aware of his presence. There's a difference between his omnipresence. His omnipresence is in you can fly into space as far as you want and you're still within his presence. You, David says, I can go to the depths of the sea or climb the highest mountains. I can make my bed in hell itself and I will not be outside of your presence. His omnipresence is everywhere, but there is also his manifested presence. That's the presence that whenever we worship, that you sense him. 
It's the same presence that we can begin to walk in every day. But you know what's, what's crazy about it is we don't walk in his manifested presence because we so often forget that he's in the room with us. I have a friend, and I was just talking to him today, and he was, he was laughing about his wife because when she does housework, she'll put in headphones and listen to music. And every time, she knows he's home, but if he walks into the room, it startles her. And she jumps. He said, like, seven feet off the floor. I don't think so because she'd be an athlete. But it's really, really true that so many times God is present in the room and we haven't even acknowledged it. How can we begin to have relationship with somebody if we're not acknowledging them that they're in the room? Think about a blind guy at a bus stop. If you sit down next to him until you start a conversation with him, he's never going to know you're there, right? It, it begins with a first recognition so that you can have a connection. We need to begin to walk recognizing his presence everywhere in everything that we do. And again, how can we get lost? How can we stumble into sin if we're constantly aware that right with me right now is the Holy Spirit? And I'm not making this up. Corinthians says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. We got to stop forgetting he's in the room. If we're going to start walking in his presence, then we need to start remembering we're in his presence. Number four, we need to choose faith. The barrier of the casual Christian is this, chronic unbelief. Tozer said that, A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God. It's a book I'm reading right now, and I'm like, God, so good. The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer. It's totally worth reading. Chronic unbelief. Think about this. How many times have, maybe you asked the question, or you heard somebody else ask the question, how do I know that I'm saved? What if I didn't believe hard enough? What if I didn't say the right prayer? Why do students seem to go to altar calls 17,000 times in the eight years that they're in youth? Why are we always doubting our salvation? It's because of chronic unbelief. Remember, it was God in the beginning. It was God who sent his son to die on the cross, who did all the work for us. How can we go to the altar and say, God, I'm here, I'm trying, I'm giving my life to you, and then say, I didn't do enough. Good news for you, you'll never do enough. It absolutely, absolutely, absolutely stands on the fact that God is enough. Don't ever question your salvation because you're just questioning that you worked hard enough or did something right. When we need to absolutely believe that it's God who did it right. You don't have to question your salvation. If you gave your life to him, it better be him that accepts it because we'll never do it enough or good enough or right enough. We can rest secure if we're willing to have faith that God is the author and the finisher of our faith. Dominic is not the author and finisher of my own faith. It would not happen. I would fail miserably, and I will never be perfect or enough. But that's why Jesus is enough. That's why he was perfect. So don't ever question your salvation, but it, it harkens back to the reality that we live in disbelief, that we would even question our salvation, which is completely based on him anyway. Do you believe God is faithful? If the answer is yes, you're good even when we're not faithful. Number five, surrender. Matthew 16, 24. I think we have it. 24 through 26. It's worth reading. You know it. Do we have it? I'm not sure. That's okay. Jesus says, if you would come after me, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. It's very simple. 
Surrender begins with the denial of self. God, I had my own dreams. I had things that I wanted. I had my own plans. And I'm going to want to want to want to surrender them to you so that my life is no longer my own. It's now yours. And now, as I walk throughout my day, in the awareness of you, walking in the presence, you let me know what you want. Denying myself, I'm picking up my cross. I'm going to follow you. Number six, obey. Bonhoeffer said that faith and obedience go hand in hand. If someone ever says that they've lost their faith, Bonhoeffer says, I tell them that they've stopped being obedient. Faith and obedience, hand in hand. You want to show me your faith? I'll show you my faith by my works. Did I get that right? Yes. Yo, you want me to show you your faith without works? I'll show you my faith. By yeah, you know what I mean. James. Good stuff. In 1859, a tightrope walker named Charles Blondine. Blondine. Can you all say Blondine. Charles Blondine. I'm going to mess that up eventually. He performed on a tightrope over Niagara Falls. Has anybody heard of this guy before? Yeah, kind of a cool guy. He was one, his wire was 1,100 feet across. He was 160 foot above the water. And he did this many times. Sometimes he would take a chair out and he'd balance a chair on one leg and do a handstand. Sometimes he put a sack over his head and walk out across the wire. One time he even took a stove out, cooked an omelet, and ate it while out on the wire. Another time, to have a spectacle, he took his manager and put his manager on his back and walked out. And then, what I think is very, very cool, he walked across all the way out and all the way back with a wheelbarrow. And then he announced to a cheering audience, does anyone believe that I could put a person in this wheelbarrow and walk them out? Everyone, yeah, we believe it. All right, who's going to volunteer? <laughs> Where does faith begin? It doesn't begin cheering in the crowd, raising our hands in worship. Faith begins at obedience and climbing in the wheelbarrow. There's my question. Are you standing in the crowd cheering? Or are you that one volunteer? <laughs> Christ calls for our obedience. We can either be safe on the ground or we can put, be pushing off the shore. I know where I want to be. Come with me. Let's do it. Let's press into knowing Christ on a whole new level. Number seven, pursue holiness. Sometimes pursuing holiness looks like sacrificing. Sometimes it means giving up things or fasting from things. What's standing between you and God? You could probably make a list. Maybe it's a long list. But if you're just making a list of three things, what are these things that are standing between you and the presence of God? You could probably come up with them quickly. I've got a list. It's in my Bible. I see it all the time. It always reminds me. These are the things I'm working on. These are the things that I'm looking to, to chisel. Actually, these are the things I'm surrendering to the Holy Spirit to chisel out of my life day in and day out. What are those things? What's clogging your receptors? What other voices and influences are you allowing into your mind and heart? Is it a trashy friend? Is it a funny TV show? Is it a favorite music artist? Is it a certain social media 
What is it? Because until we're willing to sacrifice, then we're just leaving our receptors buried. And are you serious? What could ever be more important? What could ever be such a big sacrifice that we wouldn't want to walk with Jesus every day? Those things are nothing compared to the knowledge of Christ. Jeremy Smith, who he spoke here several times, he told me yesterday morning, he said, there's nothing that we could give up that God wouldn't make worth it. It's so simple. It's so profound. boy, Jeremy. Number eight, here's where the rubber hits the road. We give our time and our intentionality. So many times we get wrapped up with rushed devotionals or Sunday morning, Wednesday nights, prayer at bedtime, summer camp highs or conference highs, but none of these make up for our spiritual bankruptcy. None of these make, are make up for a mound of dirt that's over our spiritual sense that's yearning for a relationship and his presence. It's going to take time on our knees and on our face. It's going to take prayer, listening, reading, journaling. It's going to take time of us being silent in constant pursuit of God. It's going to take cultivating a presence-based lifestyle where we walk with Jesus every day. Yeah, but Dom, I'm so busy. I have this job and seven sports and a girlfriend and all these things. What is so important that it's not worth pursuing God with all of our hearts? with all of our hearts, all of our strength, and all of our minds. As we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. And that seed in us grows, but it's not in the fertile soil of our hearts. It's going to grow in the fertile soil of our communion and our relationship. When his presence is familiar to us, and it's something that, that satisfies us and makes us thirst for more, then our faith can truly be immovable. After all, who, who of you would even try to convince me that my wife Jackie isn't real? Like, that would be stupid, right? Like, how foolish would that be? Why? Because I experience relationship with my wife every day. I wake up and she's there. We have conversations. We take on new challenges. We have a third kid coming, which is a whole new level of challenge. We work through life together. We argue together and we love together and so many things are present. There's no way you could convince me that my relationship with my wife doesn't exist or that she isn't real. And when we start walking with Jesus Christ in a way that his presence is with us day in and day out, who can ever shake you? What college professor could rattle you so much to say that God isn't next to you when he's talking to you? I'm talking about relationship, not head knowledge. It's time we leave the shore. It's time we're willing to wear out the knees of our pants on our face before a living God, crying out for him to meet us and to reveal himself to us. And you know what? That kind of relationship, it beats a bad understanding of God. So many times our understanding of God is that he wound up the universe and sent it free. Well, not if we have a relationship with him. Definitely blows up that idea. Another idea of God is that he's some sort of genie or Santa Claus that we like send our list and our prayer requests to, and he'll get back to us if he likes us enough. When we have a relationship with God, the way a father and a son or a father and a daughter do, then that same father can take them to go get their first tetanus shot. And even though life absolutely stinks for a little while, they have such a relationship that they know that they're loved. They know that this is in their best interest and for their good, and that dad's got it all worked out. When we have a relationship with God, it blows up the rocks and it blows up the thorns to be fertile soil. 
I had a great conversation with some of our guys the other night at conference. And we talked about how is it that in heaven we don't sin? As long as we're us, well, we have that temptation. And it was so much fun because it was the idea, like before we came in, I remember Matt, are you here tonight? I don't think so. Matt made us take our shoes off at the door. And we love Matt. Matt's a cool guy. And he offered his home to us. If we care about Matt, we know that Matt loves us, why wouldn't we do something as simple as take off our shoes at the door? Like, who would want to like throw that back in his face? No, he's opening his home. He's loving us. Of course we want to take our shoes off. There's no sin in heaven because when we have a real loving relationship with a God who loves us infinitely and gave it all for us, of course we don't want to sin. Sin is the farthest thing from our minds that we would ever want to do because we know that it offends and hurts the one that we love more than anything. Philippians 3.8. This is Paul. Yet indeed... I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowledge being an intimate knowing for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Leave that slide up for me. Rubbish is a really nice word. The original word was like poop. Everything that I had in life, everything that I lost, it was nothing. It was nothing but fertilizer. It's nothing but dung, poop. When I compare it against the excellence of knowing Jesus like this. Christians throughout time have taken these words seriously. Draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Shouldn't we? Heavenly Father, it's absolutely your Holy Spirit. You're the only one who can open up the eyes and ears of our souls. Lord, let this click for many tonight. Block the enemy from snatching seed away. Lord, I pray for relationships with you to be grown in here that can't be moved with deep root systems. Lord, where no one can convince us anything else but what is real and true because we are walking in the manifested presence of your Holy Spirit. We know you like you know us. Take us deeper. Give us the discipline and the heart and the passion to begin spending time with you day in and day out, acknowledging you in the, in the passenger seat, walking through the hallways that we're always in your presence. We're always remembering you're with us. Thank you so much for tearing the veil. Thank you so much for sending your son. Thank you so much for making us holy through the blood of Jesus Christ so that we could know you in a way that's intimate and personal. Lord, the church as a whole is made up of individuals that walk with your presence. Jesus, let these students come to know you tonight, this week, this year, in a way that they never knew they could. Move us into head knowledge and also heart knowledge, experiential relationship with you. Have your way tonight. Thank you, Jesus, so much for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.